0: Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today. We are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity, this chance, this, this time that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. And if you have your Bibles, doesn't matter what form they take, please lift them up. We're going to say a Bible confession. It's the word of God, and it's what we live by. Here we go. Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation. And works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, I'm continuing to speak with you on the topic, the peace within. And right before we get started, I want to share with you a Smith story. Now, I have two Smith stories locked and loaded for you, both having to do with vehicles. I'm going to share one with you today. Notice this first image. This first image, I want you to imagine that you're seeing my text messages. This is a text message that I got from my youngest son after we had done some maintenance on his car. He's away at school. So what we did was we coordinated a time because he called me. He was like, hey, Dad, I know you told me that there's a certain mileage that when I hit that mileage that you typically do some routine maintenance. So we coordinated a time where he came back from school. And then I got the maintenance, had it sent over to the place, got it done. And when I got it done, I sent him a picture of the invoice. It said, the mechanic did this, and it cost this. The mechanic did that, and it cost that. And so his response to me was this text. Wow. I didn't even know my car had that much stuff wrong. Now we pause there. Because his father is going to quickly send him a reply. And the reply that I sent him was a reply based on a conversation I had had with the mechanic. And here is my reply. Of course, reformat it so that it's more verbal instead of texty. But here's my reply, LOL. Actually, the car had a lot right with it. The mechanic mechanic commended us for taking such good care of our cars. He said the car came in at the right time for all its maintenance. He said when we maintain our cars like we do, we keep routine issues from becoming big problems, so all is well. And my follow-up to my son is, so all is right with what you did. It's not as much about being a lot wrong. This is about cars, but the same thing applies to relationships. You see, in this life that we live, all natural things wear over time, including relationships. But as with cars, many people in their relationship opt to forego the routine maintenance. And those are the things that help keep your relationship strong. Because they do not do the small routine maintenance at the right time, they end up with larger, more costly issues in the end. And as with cars, Sometimes, the cost of the more extensive repair prompts the decision to scrap it instead of repair it. Mm -hmm. So do the routine maintenance on your relationships. If you do the routine maintenance, maintenance at the right time, you will find that you avoid having the thought that maybe I should scrap it because the cost of repair is too much. That goes husband to wife, wife to husband, parent to child, child to parent, friend to friend. Routine maintenance, there's nothing wrong with it in fact, all is right with it. Amen? Amen? That's your Smith story for today. Now to peace it. You know, the last time we were together, what we've been talking about is we've been talking about that topic, the door. And we said that Jesus said in John 10 that I am the door. And given that Jesus has said that I am the door, he has also slid in there a responsibility for you and I to help people get to the door. What that makes us then is the door to the door. One of the clearest things that we can find in the Bible, clearest passages, not things, but one of the clearest passages we can find in the Bible where Jesus gives us this responsibility is in Matthew 28. Here it is. We've read it before. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 in the voice. Jesus came forward and addressed his beloved disciples. Jesus said, I am here speaking with all authority of God who has commanded me to give you this commission or said slowly "Co-mission, a mission that we're going to do together. Jesus says, go out and make disciples in all the nations ceremonially wash them through baptism in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then disciple them, form them in the practices and postures that I have taught you, and show them how to follow the commands I have laid down for you, and I will be with you day after day to the end of the age. We are doors. We are the door to the door. That is a very interesting relationship. And one of the things we must never forget is that our door, even though that door can be effective no matter where we are, that door is most effective when we put it in the place God wants that door to be. God can send our door to one of two destinations. And we said those destinations in general were these. They could send our door to a familiar place, or they can send our God can send our door to an unfamiliar place. No matter where God wants to send your door, though, the position matters. Last session we had together, we talked about the God sending you back to that familiar place. We talked about Moses and all the things that could go along with God sending you to that familiar place. But for this session, we're going to begin our steps into God sending you to an unfamiliar place. What can we say about God sending you to an unfamiliar place? Well, to talk about that, We're going to begin with the discussion of a man that we call Paul. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 22. Paul, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard the story about Paul. He steps on the scene as Saul of Tarsus. He's wreaking havoc on the church. Anything having to do with this Jesus Christ guy, Paul is on the other side arresting them, torturing them, giving them the business. And he's doing it legally. The story in general goes that he's on his way to Damascus, a bright light blinds him and he ends up having this discussion with Jesus and through that he is converted. We say that he goes from Saul to Paul, but at all times he was both Saul and Paul. Saul was his Hebrewish Jewish name, but he was also a Roman citizen. So Paul was his Roman name. So he didn't pick up a new name. He just started going by his Roman name, Paul. Did you know when Luke wrote the book of Acts, He did this account of Paul being quote-unquote converted. He did it three times, three different chapters, and each one sheds a little different light on this conversion. The one that we're going to focus on is in Acts 22. And let me show it to you. I'm going to read it from my tablet. And we'll walk through it. They'll, they'll catch up with me. Acts 22, for your notes, look at this girl. You're awesome. <laughs> Give God some praise for our AV team. Okay, I got to tell you this no Smith story. Because I, I thought in my mind, I said, I said, I said she's great. But here's, here's something. Oh, Greta's not here. Okay, here's it. Here's, here's, no, it's not about her. So I got my, my grandbaby time, right? And so during my grandbaby time, I told Greta, I said, Greta, I said, we've come up with a new song, Me and My Grandbaby. She says, really? I said, yeah, yeah, a new song, Me and My Grandbaby. I said, and it's just a song between me and her. And I say, you know, it's got gospel roots. She says, really? I said, you want to hear it? She says, Yes. Yeah. So I take my grandbaby, and I pick her little hands like this. And I say, here's the song. I say, now we sing this song together. I say, you ready? She says, yes. Yeah. Say, Here we go. I say, she says, Grandpa's great. He does miracles so great. There is no one else like him. There's no one else like him. Grandpa's great. He does. OK, all right. So you're great. <laughs> but that's the song that we, we sing together, me and my, my grandbaby. Grandpa's great. Okay, so here we go. But we, we're in the book of Acts, and it's, we're talking about Acts 22, verses 1 through 21. But as always, you have that for your notes. But the text that's really, really tiny, I'm really not looking for you to read that with me today. It's really the text that's big, and we're talking about verses 6 through 7. Paul is holding court here, meaning he's talking to a group of people. If you look at the book of Acts, you will find that Paul was always somehow in trouble. Somebody was mad at him for teaching this Jesus stuff, and so they're trying to put him in jail. They're trying to rough him up. They're trying to bruise him up. And so he's standing in front of a group of people, and he's been given an opportunity to talk. And Paul talks about his conversion. He says this, as I arrived, verse 6, as I arrived, on the outskirts of Damascus. Okay, what's going on? Oh, there's a lizard on the floor? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I ain't seen people stomp like that in praise and worship. But you know what that reminded me of? Growing up, I don't care how big the person was, how strong the person was, how cocky the person was. You get a cockroach, go flying through the living room. People breaking, they breaking lamps, they knocking people over. My wife tells me, she says, one time we were at a house and the roach flew through the house. She say, Ben, you almost ran me over. i like, baby, you got to be quick. <laughs> I don't want it on me either. Oh, my gosh. Oh. But that's good. Don't, don't, don't sit up in here in fear. but everything's done, right? We've taken care of. We've, he, he got it. He got a little close. <laughs> Had to put the enemy under, under your feet. I understand. <sighs> <sighs> okay. All right. Let's get back to this. Paul is, Paul is telling his story. And the the, the general part is, he says, I arrived on the outskirts of Damascus about noon. A blinding light blazed out of the skies, and I fell to the ground. Dazed, I heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? Now, this is Jesus talking to him at this point. Now, when we move forward, Paul eventually, he gets his sight back, and he is in a temple caught up. Just caught up in God, as he says. And then he has another discussion with Jesus. Here we go. This is the balance of Acts 21 through 1 through 21. Acts 22 verses 1 through 21. We're focusing on just 18 through 21. After he's caught up in the spirit, I'm going to call it, in this temple, Paul says, I saw him saw God's righteous innocent and heard him say to me, hurry up, get out of here as quickly as you can. None of the Jews here in Jerusalem are going to accept what you say about me. Paul says, at first I objected. Pause. There is rarely a time when we hear about Paul convert, Saul's conversion to Paul where we hear that he ever objected to the call. But I love this version because he says, first, when Jesus told me to leave Jerusalem or leave my familiar place, he says, I objected. Let's keep going. At first, I objected. Who is better? Nope. go back up. At first, I objected. Who has better credentials? They all know how obsessed I was by hunting out those who believed in you, beating them up in the meeting places and throwing them in jail. And when your witness, Stephen, was murdered, I was right there holding the coats for the murderers and cheering them on. And now they see me totally converted. What better qualification could I have? What Paul is saying is if you want somebody to stay in this familiar place and convince people that Jesus is real, how much realer can the message be if they know how nasty I was towards you and now to see me converted to you, there is no better person to be in this familiar place talking about you than me. Paul says, I am better in the familiar. Why do I leave? I know all the players here. All the players know me. I know that my skill sets work here. I know that I have the best credentials than anybody else you could find to stay here. So why in the world would I want to leave the familiar? He is doing his best to object, but Jesus is not having it. Because Jesus wants him to go to an unfamiliar place and reach unfamiliar people. As a matter of fact, Jesus knows that the effectiveness, the fruitfulness, the the, the benefit of the commission depends on Paul putting his door in an unfamiliar place to reach unfamiliar people. So what does Jesus tell him? Don't argue with me, boy. Don't argue. Go. I'm sending you on a long journey to outsider Gentiles. Said differently, I am going to send your door to an unfamiliar place to reach unfamiliar people. Did you know or do you know or can you even dream with me or think with me that the same thing happens with you and with me. There are times that God wants to send us to unfamiliar places to reach unfamiliar people, but we believe, at least the way we try to debate that thing, is we believe and debate that God, I think, it's best for me to stay with the familiar. Keep in mind, we have two things happening here. When we talked about the familiar place, we talked about Moses, and Moses objected to going back to the familiar. Now we have Paul, who's objecting, objecting, who don't want (laughs) to go from the familiar to the unfamiliar. Both are trying to object. Except one is objecting to going back to the familiar and the other objecting to leaving the familiar. Hey, we're all in the mix of all of that. And when it comes to the unfamiliar, when God taps us on the shoulder to go there, the goal is for us not to argue. The goal is for us to go. But we don't always do that. As a matter of fact, I'll go out on a ledge and hang my toes out there and say we rarely do that. What generally happens? Here we go. Notice this image. Now we should not argue with God, but we do. God says, go to the unfamiliar place wherever that place is. And in our wisdom, in our consideration, in our maturity, in our knowing more than God, we say, God, I see that, but Lord, my job is here. My family is here in the familiar. My friends, my friends are here in the familiar. All my contacts are here. My good Business prospects, God, they're here. My help, you know how many kids I got. God, all my help is here. You know what I go through. All my help is here. You know what I need. All my help is here. God, I have built up a reputation here. I've put in work here. Why would I want to leave the familiar. To go to the unfamiliar. We argue. And God doesn't want us to argue. He wants us to go. He wants us to go to the unfamiliar place as he directs to reach the unfamiliar people, because if we reject, there are people out there whose deliverance doesn't happen. The purpose and the mission of the commission is to reach others and get them to the door. You are the door to the door, but if your door doesn't get in the position that God wants to be in, Those people suffer. God doesn't want us to argue, but we do. As we go deeper into this discussion about the unfamiliar place, I'm going to ask you to turn back in your Bible or swipe back in your Bible to the Old Testament. And we're going to have a discussion Only a discussion of one of two. We're going to have a discussion of two Old Testament accounts that hopefully allow us to glean something off of the the tree of wisdom, some fruit that we can grow and live by as it relates to God sending us to the unfamiliar. The one we're going to talk about right now in this session has to do with a man that we know as Abram who eventually became known as Abraham. We're going to pick it up right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 12. Verses one through five in the voice. One day, the eternal one called out to Abram. God said, Abram, get up and go. Leave your country, leave your relatives and your father's home and travel to the land I will show you. Don't worry, I'll guide you there. I have plans to make a great people from your descendants and I am going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and example to others. I will also bless those who bless you and further you in your journey and I'll trip up those who try to trip trip you along the way. Through your descendants, all of the families of the earth will find their blessing in you. Without hesitation, Abram went. He did exactly as the Eternal One asked him to do. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took with him his wife Sarai, or Sarai, I say Sarai, his brother's son Lot, all of their possessions and all of the persons they had acquired from their household while in Haran, Haran, and they they all set off towards the land of Canaan. Why did we read all of that? We read all of that, one, to give you an overview in case you've never read it before, but also some other things that we want to point out here as it relates to the unfamiliar. It gets us deeper into what we want to talk about. There is a lot that we can teach from here. But just focus for me on the highlighted portions, and we're going to start at the bottom with the highlighted word Canaan. When you read that, one through five in total, and they put the land of Canaan at the bottom, if you're not careful, you could read it as if Abram knew he was going to Canaan because it says he left and went to Canaan what we want to realize here is that the author is writing this text with the benefit of history. The author knows the end and the beginning. The author knows the whole path. So the author has the benefit of hindsight. And with the benefit of hindsight, the author can write in that Abram was going to Canaan, but Abram didn't know he was going to Canaan. As they tell us, hindsight is what? Is 2020. It's easy for the author to write that he was going to Canaan after the author looks at history because with hindsight, things are easier to explain. Things are easier to understand. All the wisdom comes your way once it's become history. You know, family, it's easy for you to know that you should have never allowed that child up on that ladder after you're in the hospital dealing with the broken arm. It's easy to know you should have left him alone after you've dated him. It's easy for you to know you should have left her alone after you've dated her. It's easy for you to know that you never should have gave them the keys to your car after they bring your car back with a dent in it and no gas. (laughs) Hindsight makes it easy when you look at something from history to know something. So, yes, the author puts that he went into Canaan, but Abram didn't know that at the time. The beginning of verse 4 here in the voice says that Abram went, went without hesitation. That aligns with Hebrews chapter 11. Let me show you. In Hebrews chapter 11, remember, it's, it's, faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? And then it goes on to what people call the hall of faith. By faith, Cain. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, and eventually gets to by faith, you know, Abraham slides in there and Hebrews chapter 8, chapter 11, verse 8, easy to read, says this, God called Abraham, he's Abraham now, to travel to another place that he promised to give him and what are those five words, read them with me, Abraham did not know where, exactly, Abraham did not know where that other place was. So he didn't know. But he obeyed God and started traveling because he had faith. I love that there. Now, go back up to Genesis for me. With that in your mind. Verse four, he left without hesitation. Why? Because he was a man of faith. And we can take that. And we can even though it's true that it's great for you to move in faith without hesitation. We can take that thing to assume that if he had had any hesitation, he would not be a man of faith. But I love this top part, the end of verse 1 in the Voice Bible. They put in there, God said, don't worry I will guide you there. I love that because that makes it more real to me. God don't have to say don't worry unless somehow He's looking at Abram and sensing that he might be worried. God says don't worry. I will guide you. Family, I love that. Because us saying that Abram is simply going to pick up his life and leave his country and leave his relatives and leave his father's house, that that's just easy because he's a man of faith. But you know what? I don't think it's just that easy. Because what God is asking him to do is leave everything he knows that's familiar. And familiarity breeds comfort. And the human condition is to embrace comfort. It is not human nature to to crave, to, to, to seek after uncomfortableness. So when God asked this man to step out and trust me to go to an unfamiliar place, I believe that Abram had to adapt to a certain level of uncomfortability. Say that. We say uncomfortability. That's right. That's your word for the day. I believe he had to adapt to a certain level of uncomfortability. Think about it. When You have comfort like he has. Uncomfortability comes from stepping from where you are, a known place, into the unknown. But when we say uncomfortability, we just don't mean fear. Notice this. uncomfortability, which is not just in the urban dictionary, by the way. You can find this word. You got to look hard, (laughs) but you got to find it. I don't just mean fear. I'm talking about a general uneasiness. I'm talking about a general discomfort that comes from you just not being in a place that you're familiar with. You just not doing things that you're used to doing. You not, you're experiencing feelings that you never felt before. You have a certain uncomfortability. Think about it. Put yourself in Abram's shoes for just a second. God says, I want you to leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's house. This man is picking up some discomfort, some uneasiness. There is a comfort that comes along with you knowing the people where you are. There is a comfort that comes along with you knowing the area. There is a comfort that comes along with you knowing how you're going to make your money or how you're going to put food on the table. There's comfort in knowing if you need help, who you're going to call. If you need some, some, some medical attention, where you're going to go. If you need something, who and where, there's comfort in knowing that. And when he goes to an unfamiliar place, he loses that comfort of knowing. And when he loses that comfort of knowing, he has to adapt himself to a certain level of uncomfortability. God is asking this man to leave all that he knows that's familiar. He got to leave his father's house. And if he has an inheritance from his daddy, he leaving his father's inheritance he leaving his mama, he leaving his mama cooking. He leaving his mama pot roast and her candy yams, her, her, her banana pudding and sweet potato pie, her cornbread and green beans. Leaving the soup that she make that certain time of year. He leaving his mama house. He's leaving his brothers and his sisters, his aunts and uncles. He's leaving them. He's leaving a place where he know all the directions to everywhere. He's even leaving the place where because he's been there so long, he can walk into an establishment and get the hooker. He can walk into a place and because my great-great-granddaddy knew your great-great-granddaddy and he helped me with this and your granddaddy knew my granddaddy and your grandmama helped raise mine and your grand-great-great-auntie did this and y'all know my people and your people know my people and because... All of that goes on in his familiar place. He can go in there, and your money's not good here. Get three of them. Take your mama one. He, He loses all of that. All of that is familiar. All of that makes his life easier. And because he loses that familiarity, God asking him to get up and go somewhere to an unfamiliar place, gives him discomfort and it's not easy for him to make that choice so god tells him don't worry i got you because if god asks you to go to the unfamiliar you will worry or In case there are some of us who are in the upper percentile, I don't want to say that so definitively, most of us will worry. And I don't mean worry, jump off a bridge worry. It's just you will just have angst because being in the unfamiliar just makes you uneasy. But somebody could say, maybe somebody way in the back or somebody who's going to listen to this virtually down the road. Maybe somebody say, but Pastor, Mr. Smith, Benjamin. I understand that Abram may have had some kind of concern about leaving the familiar. But aren't you missing a really big assumption? And I say, what's that? Enlighten a brother on what the assumption is. They might say, what you are assuming, Mr. Smith, is that Abram liked his family. You are assuming that what he was leaving was good. There could be a case, Pastor, where even though it was familiar, it wasn't good. You know, Pastor, I, I'm going to tell you I am married. And let's say it's a man. The man would say, I am married and I really adore my wife. But let me tell you, there are times when she does things that I want to leave my country. And I want to leave my relatives. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was a woman that says, you know, I love my husband. But there are times God knows that depending on what he does, I wouldn't mind leaving my country and leaving my relatives, you understand. So it's, it's not always that leaving breaks your heart because leaving what you leave is not always a situation that you're leaving something good. Pastor, I love my children, but heaven knows there are times, depending on what them rascals do, that I wouldn't mind leaving my country and leaving my relatives. Oh, I don't know if they can hear it, but testimonies are popping off everywhere. <laughs> I mean to make it more make it more direct, there are times that the people that you love and you care for, the people that are in your in your vicinity, it's not that you, it's not ooh, it's not just that. Everything is peachy all the time and that you want to be with them all the time. Sometimes you could pray for some distance. And sometimes what put a smile on your face is the distance. So, Pastor, it it could very much be that even though this man had to leave his country and leave his relatives, he might not have liked his daddy. He might not like that. His mama might not even be able to cook. He might not even like his mama. He might not even like his cousins and aunties. He might, his brothers and sisters might get on his nerves. So, what I'm trying to tell you, Pastor, is that even though he left, when you talk about uncomfortability, It might have been a comfort to him to leave. Look at this image. So I'm asking you, Pastor, and what you're talking about in uncomfortability have you considered that it's very possible that even though Abram was leaving the familiar, that he was leaving? the bad familiar? I mean, what if the familiar that he was dealing with was not good? And I see the logic in that. And I appreciate you bringing it up, whoever that was in my mind. And here would be my answer to that that it doesn't matter much to me. My answer to that would be that it doesn't change my view on uncomfortability. And let me tell you why. I am am an observer by nature. And over decades of my life, I have observed something that teaches me something. Decades and decades of counseling people in relationships have also taught me something. Decades and decades of hearing people talk through their experiences and asking me for advice has taught me something. Do you want to know what that is? Now, here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, I want you to say, tell it to me, Pastor. <laughs> Let's go. One, two, three. Tell it to me, Pastor. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, what life has taught me. In all the years, because we're dealing with, well, what if he was dealing with bad familiar? Here's what it's taught me a little Smithism for you. I believe that for most, if not all people, the thought, the thought of facing the unknown is scarier than continuing to live with the bad familiar. Let that sink in. The mere thought of facing the unknown is scarier than continuing to live with the bad familiar. And don't you even try to convince me that's not true. It's the reason. Why she continued to stay with him, even though he mistreat her. She'd rather stay with the bad familiar than face her fear of living in the unknown. She continues to stay with him, even though he continues to show himself untrustworthy. She continues to stay with him even though he's turned out to only be a fraction of the man she'd hoped he'd be. She continues to stay with him even though he hurts her over and over and over again. Why? Because she'd rather stay with the bad familiar than face the fear of going to the unknown. It's the reason why he stayed with her even though she continues to verbally belittle his manhood, tear him down to the floor. He'd rather stay with the bad familiar than to deal with it and step out into the unknown. It's the reason why you stay on that job that you don't like, where people don't know your worth and they pay you less than what you should earn. You'd rather stay and deal with the bad familiar than step out into the unknown. It doesn't matter that Abram, if Abram's known was bad. I say it's still scarier for him to step out into the unknown. The bad familiar is not as scary because you know it, it is the reason why you still stick with those so-called friends even though they continue to prove to you they're not your friends you go out to dinner you paying they never pay you go on a cruise they there but they didn't pay the ticket you pay you in Hawaii they there they didn't buy the plane ticket They didn't pitch in for the for the Airbnb. They had the luau on your bill. (laughs) They use you over and over and over and over again. And it's obvious and you know it. But you'd rather stick with so-called friends because you know them instead of kicking them to the curb and stepping out alone into the unknown. Yeah, the thought of facing the unknown is scarier than the bad familiar. So when I say Abram had to adapt to a certain level of uncomfortability, it don't matter if his familiar was good or if his familiar was bad. He had a difficult choice. And he went. He didn't argue, even though he had angst. He didn't not go, even though he had to have concerns. He agreed to allow God to take him to an unfamiliar place, and in that process, meet some unfamiliar (laughs) people what about you though and what about me notice what about us when it comes to the unfamiliar what do we do do we argue with God Or do we go? Do we choose comfort? Or are we willing to step out with God and adapt to a certain level of uncomfortability? Do we cling to the familiar? Or do we allow God to guide us into the unfamiliar? What about you? What would be your response? What would you do? If God is calling you into an unfamiliar place to reach unfamiliar people, then that is the position that your door belongs in. Because the people that God is calling you to reach will reach the door of Christ through your door. But your door has to be in position. I want to leave you, though, with a motivational thought. And here's that thought. Loved ones, there are times when God has us doing certain things, and this thought applies to whether God sends you to a familiar place or an unfamiliar place, but quite frankly, today we're focused on the unfamiliar, but it applies to both. There are times when God has us doing whatever God has us doing, and we can begin to assume that God has forgotten about me. I'm talking about the individual. God has forgotten about my desires. God has forgotten about my wants. I know God cares about the mission. I know we're supposed to be on a co-mission, but I get the feeling that God has somehow forgotten about me. Loved ones, God does not care more about the mission than you. God has not forgotten about you. He has not forgotten about you at all. Remember when he's, what he said to Abram. He didn't just tell him, I'm sending you to an unfamiliar place. He said, oh, by the way, and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and further your journey. He didn't make it so that Abram gets lost in the mission. No. Abram also gleans benefits from the mission. Think about the things that God did for Abram. And we're going to just touch them quickly, but please take them as nuggets and let your heart run with them as far as your heart's willing to run with them. One of the things he did was he changed Abram's name. From Abram to Abraham did the same thing with his wife Sarai, of course. Family, when God takes you on a journey, realize that whoever you start as will not be the same person as you ended as. God's gonna change your name, He's gonna give you a name that reflects Him, He's gonna give you a name that lets the whole world know that you've been in his presence. So the one thing God did for Abram is God changed his name. Another thing God did with him as he journeyed with God on the unfamiliar. Do you know that God gave this man a son? A son that had been the desire of his heart. Read, read, read Genesis, I think around Genesis 15, you will find out that he wanted a son. So during this journey, God met the desire of his heart. As you journey with God, God is so in tune with you as the individual that he will give you desires of your heart along the way. Oh, but there's a third thing. A third thing that's darn near shout worthy. God not only gave him a son, him and his wife Sarah, but Abraham. God not only gave Abraham a son, which was the desire of his heart. God gave him the son Isaac, who was also the seed to the promise. God birthed this boy out of a womb that was assumed dead. What am I telling you? When you make the decision to journey with God, in this case, into the unfamiliar, God will birth things to life out of your life that you thought were dead. God will birth the impossible out of the, the, the possible out of impossible. You know what I'm saying? God will take what you thought could never happen. Let's put it that way and do it for you. God has not forgotten you in the mission. As you journey with him. Whatever things in your life that he had already spoken over your life that you had assumed were dead, God is the God that can rebirth those things and give them breath again. The business he spoke to you, you thought was dead, he could breathe life into it. Those relationship aspirations that you thought were dead, he could breathe life into it. those educational aspirations, he can breathe life into it. God can put his hands into a womb, assume dead, and birth a son. The same God can put his hands into your life and breathe new life into dead things. So God has not forgotten about you in the mission. Your part, when God asks you to step out and journey into an unfamiliar place to meet unfamiliar people, to reach them, is to not argue. Your part is to go. And as we've heard over and over and over again in the examples that we've read, God has said, I will be with you. I will be with you in this journey. I will be with you every step of the way. So don't argue. Just go. Amen. Amen. I love y'all. We will pick up on the unfamiliar places and our next biblical example next time we're together. Let's pray. God, there are so many different opportunities that we have in this life to represent you. And with every opportunity that we have, we want to make sure that what we are doing is we are directing people to the door. Sometimes, God, that direction is For the lack of a better word, direct, we are talking to people about Christ, talking to people about your goodness, talking to people about what it's like to be in the kingdom. Other times, though, God is indirect, meaning people are just led to you by observing our door, observing our life, observing that we are not talking down to them, but we're always kind. Observing that we are always there to help them in their time of need, being a brotherly or sisterly hand and not a condemner. We're just letting our light shine. When you ask us to go, my prayer is that each and every person learns how to adapt to that little hint of uncomfortability that arises in accepting the commission. We may have some unease. God, we may flat out out have a little fear. Especially when we're leaving the familiar, where we know everything about everything, and we know everybody in all the places. But that being said, give us the faith to still step out with you in the journey. Knowing that the most effective place for our door is in the place that you want it to be. And if that place, God, is to journey to the unfamiliar, Let our answer be yes. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now, or weeks from now, not even days from now. But we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.